There are very, uh, I think every sermon that I did in Christology, uh, there are definitely some that stood out to others that I was eager to teach. This one is definitely one of the ones, if not the most, or the main one, that I was most eager to teach you all. <clears throat> not because it's the last one and I can finally breathe a little bit. Um, however, it's because of what the text tells us concerning our Christ, who He is, and what He has done for us. Saints of God, um, this is not farewell to our study on the mysteries of Christ by any means. In fact, as long as I am here and Pastor Antonio is here, we will continue to proclaim the mysteries of Christ and what He has done for us and try to pry into the depths of who He is. Um, but this is the end for at least topically talking about who our Christ is because we will definitely... Um, a lot of these themes of who our Christ is are going to uh, resurface when we get to Colossians. They're already resurfacing when Pastor Antonio preaches to us every morning in Revelation. Um, and uh, I look forward to seeing what Christ... Uh, what, rather, what we will what we will see in Colossians concerning our Christ. What's the last thing that I would want to tell you all concerning our Lord Jesus Christ after we have spent many years concerning, uh, rather considering who our Lord is and what He has done for us? Um, I was thinking about doing just a big, again, recap of everything that's been said. Um, hopefully, hopefully you all would remember uh, some of the key things. Uh, to be reminded of and to and keep to your memory bank as you're going forward um, in your study and loving Christ. But saints, as I was reading the Word of God, there is a specific passage of Scripture that uh, kept pulling at me. Um, and in many ways, it uh, sums up what I wanted to do teaching the doctrine of Christ. I'm not interested mainly in you learning every single heresy about our Christ and, and, and equipping you to defeat those heresies. Um, I'm not interested merely in you professing that Jesus Christ is one, one person in two natures. That's fine. Uh, but more so professing these things, but also how do we live in light of them? How, how, does, how does this change our view of Christ? And that was the main objective in our series in Christology is, is changing not that you had a bad perception of Christ, but turning up the volume a little bit. Um, making that picture of, of, of uh, our Christ a little bit more clearer. Um, and heightening who our Christ is within our minds. If there was one theologian, saints, that knew more about Christ, but also experienced and lived the mysteries of Christ here on this earth, it was the Apostle Paul. The same one who gave to us a mountain of theology. I mean, if you read St. Paul's letters, you say to yourself, this man was a theological giant. He knew his Old Testament well, forwards and backwards. But the one thing that he knew the most, and the one thing that he, in many ways, continued to tell his readers, keep pressing upon his readers' minds and souls, it is this basic truth, but I... But it is the root of our foundation in Jesus Christ. And it's the love of Christ. It is the love of Jesus Christ. 
Yet, it is John who is a disciple that Jesus loved, who's known as the love disciple. But, saints, what about Paul? Paul was also one who encountered not only the risen Christ, but also experienced every single day the love of Christ. He says in Galatians 2.20, The life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. When, when St. Paul thought about all of what Christ done for him, all he can say is, He loved me. And He died for me. That was the root. That was the foundation of Paul's life. And saints, the summation of what I'm going to say today is the summation of your Christian life is simply the love of Christ for you. That is what you are grounded and to be rooted in. This morning we've heard that, many things, but that Satan will not have the victory. That we have power over Satan because we are in Christ. We know that. But do you live it? Do you experience it? You see, the basic truths of the Christian faith are not merely just for you to know, but for you to be reminded of, because we need to be reminded of. We sing the same hymns every single Sunday. Because we need to be reminded of these things. They need to be planted and rooted into our souls. Saints, what does it mean to know the love of Christ? Oh, if there is anything that you can know, saints, in this world, if there is anything that you could endeavor to know, it is the love of Christ. It is what St. Paul tells his readers in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 through 19 so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, and the length, and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. If there's anything that you should endeavor to know, it's the love of Christ. We can go on and have PhDs in many things, many sciences. But there is nothing that the, that the most able of teachers, the most smartest of teachers can teach you that can surpass the love of Jesus Christ. Saints of God, this is something that we are not to just merely be reminded of, but we are to live in light of the love of Jesus Christ. Just two simple points. Number one, knowing the love of Christ doctrinally. And number two, knowing the love of Christ experientially. Knowing the love of Christ doctrinally and knowing the love of Christ experientially. Saints of God, is there anything that we want to know more of? If there's any, is there anything in the world that we would pay all of the money in the world to hear about? It ought to be the love of Christ. The love of Christ doctrinally. And what I simply mean by that is knowing the what of the love of Christ. What do we mean when we say the love of Christ? Well, saints, if there is one aspect of the love of Christ that Paul wants us to know, there's many things we can talk about concerning the love of Christ. He wants us in our three verses to understand this aspect about the love of Christ. And it is the greatness of the love of Christ. The greatness of the love of Christ. 
Notice, out of all the things that Paul could have exhorted the church to, to know concerning Christ, out of all the things, he could have said to know the grace of Christ, to know the knowledge of Christ, to know the mercy of Christ, the sufferings of Christ. No, he says to know the love of Christ. If there's anything that you should know, dear Ephesian Christians, and if there's anything that you should know, dear Christians of Reformation Bible Church, it is the love of Jesus Christ. But why the love of Christ? Why should we know the love of Christ? Why does the love of Christ have preeminence in Paul's theology? It's because the love of Christ speaks of the grace of Christ. It's because the love of Christ speaks of the mercy of Christ. It speaks of the knowledge of Christ. The love of Christ encapsulates the incarnation, God becoming man. The life of Christ, Him living under the law for us to redeem us under the law and free us from the law. The death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, and the return of Christ, and us reigning with Christ. The love of Christ encapsulates for us the Christ event. The Christ event, Him becoming flesh, and us reigning with Him. The Christ event, saints. It is the love of Christ, saints, that is to be the root of our lives. It is a love so great that Paul wants us to know. He's essentially saying this, saints. Do you know how much and how wide and how great the love of Christ is. Think about it, saints. You know your wife well. There's many things, many dishes that you know how to make well. There's many things in this world you know how to... You, you, when you think of, you know it well. Ask yourself this question, though. Do you know the depth of the love of Christ? Do you? Well, Paul wants us to know the depth of the love of Christ. Saints, this has been my hope in our years of learning about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Is yes, the things that you know are right, but how deep do you know them? How well do you know them? And then, not well just for you can, just so you can get 4.0 GPA, just so you can get a certificate at the end of the day, but you can live all, rather, you can live in the way, you can live in the way in which God has prescribed for you to live. You can live the way Christ has called us to live. How great is the love of Christ? Paul says in verse 18, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints, what is the width? What is the length? What is the height? And what is the depth? Again, the width, the length, the height, and the depth. Paul uses here spatial dimensions to highlight the vastness and the greatness of Christ's love. He essentially takes every single way in which we can measure something. And every single way in which you can measure something, go beyond it when we're talking about the love of Christ. First, he says to know the width of Christ's love. The width of Christ's love. And what that simply means is the extent of Christ's saving work. The extent of Christ's saving work. Can one event in on top of Golgotha's hill touch me in Bakersfield? Can it? Can someone rising from the dead and walking out the tomb, does that have any effect on me whenever I'm saved? 
How does it reach me? What this simply means, saints, when we consider the width of Christ's saving work, is that salvation is free to come upon all types of people. Salvation is free to come upon all types of people. In this world today, we are so focused on race, are we not? Not a bad thing. But this is how race worlds end. This is how true unity between all races end. By considering the blood that was spilled on Calvary's cross. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever should believe shall never perish but have eternal life. Here we see that the love of Christ, saints, as it is extended upon that wooden tree, in many ways, those arms are being wrapped around the world. Come unto me, all. Jesus Christ on the cross is extending His love to the entire globe from one end to the other. From on the Mount of Golgotha's Hill, the power of Christ's blood reaches to the farthest of people. This is why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 to 12, remember that you were at one time separate from Christ, excluded from the people of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That was us before Christ died. But now. Praise God for the buts in the Bible. But now in Christ Jesus, you, me, who were previously far off, have been brought near. How? How have we been brought near to Christ? By the blood of Christ. By the blood of Christ. Blood has an interesting... Blood is weird, is it not? Blood has an interesting effect, saints. Blood has the power to link two people who are far apart together simply because they're brothers and sisters. I'm related to you in some way and you're related to me even if you are a million miles away. In fighting, uh, announcers tend to say that after the fight is done, these two men are forever linked together because they shared blood together. They're, they're, forever, they're forever linked together because of the blood that was spilled together. But Christ's blood, saints, Christ's blood, it has a power to do something that blood doesn't normally do. And that is Christ's blood has the power to bring together two infinite worlds. Two infinite worlds. Two things that are in contradiction to one another. God is holy and we are not. God is holy and we are sinful. Christ's blood brings us together. As St. Paul says, we were far off. We were at an infinite distance from God, but now in Christ Jesus, we have been brought near by the blood of the Lamb. Look around, saints. All types of groups of people are represented in this building. All types of people are represented in this building. All types of races are here. And what does that tell us? That Christ's blood is no respecter of persons. That Christ's blood is no respecter 
of persons. In other words, saints, Christ's blood is not just for one race of people. Christ's blood is not just for Asians, not just for Mexicans. Go down the line and think of every single race you can think of. Christ's blood is not exclusively just for you. But Christ's blood is for all peoples. And here's the beauty of Christ's blood, saints. Here's the beauty of Christ's blood. That the blood of Christ reaches to any and all race of men to make one race of men. That Christ's blood is for any, any, any and all race of men to make one race of men. Galatians 3.28 There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. This truth, saints, is what we ought to rejoice in light of. That God showed no partiality. That little old Asian and Mexican me in Bakersfield, California, that God says, I want him. And think of yourself, saint. Think of yourself. Think of your race. No matter if you are this or that, the world is always trying to degrade our races. Saying who's superior and who's inferior. Jesus Christ comes to us. We are not blood or bought or born of a certain bloodline in order for us to be saved, but rather as we are. And isn't that the beauty of the gospel saints? As we are. Yes, as we are. Homosexuals, as you are. Yes, those who are living an adulterous life, as you are. Yes, as you are. Dirty. Yes, as you are. Christ will come to you. But as it was said this morning, but you will not stay where you are. He will come to you as you are. But you are going to leave like Him. You will be like Him. Next, Paul says the length of Christ's love. We saw the extent. It reaches me. But what about the length of it? What does this mean? Well, saints, I take this to mean the everlasting love of Christ. The everlasting love of Jesus Christ. Saints of God, how much does Jesus love you? How much does Jesus love you? Jesus loves you so much, saints, that He never began to love you. Jesus loves you so much that He never began to love you. Which means, saints, that Christ's love for you reaches all the way back into the mysterious ages of eternity. That before God said, let there be light, before He made the world and all things in it, before He formed man in the dust of the ground, the words of Jeremiah 31.3 were spoken to us, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That is spoken of you. That's what's That was your relationship with God before the world began, before the world and time began, before what the world and time and all the things in time in the world began, that before the foundations of all things and the creation of all things, I have loved you, and not just merely with just a generic love, but an everlasting love. An everlasting love. What's an everlasting love, congregation? I don't know. 
I don't know what an everlasting love is. We can do the deeds philosophically and theologically and try to probe into the depths of what everlasting means. But what what does eternity mean? We even have to use time language to, to try to describe something that is timeless. But we do know one thing, and if we can, we do know one thing about everlasting love. That Christ's love for us never began. And Christ's love for us will never end. If there's anything that you can know about everlasting, if there's anything that you can know about eternity, it's simply this. Oh, saints, I hope that this, I hope this reaches into the marrow of your bone, that it enters into the very fabric of your DNA, that Jesus Christ never began to love me and will never end loving me. We need to hear this. We need to be reminded of these things. Consider the words of Christ in John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that His hour had come, that He would depart from this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. This means, saints, that we don't have to wonder. We don't ever have to think about whether Christ's love for us will never fade away or will ever fade away. No, again, he says in Jeremiah 31, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Saints of God, next Paul says the depth. The depth. To know the depth of the love of Christ. Oh, to know how far deep Christ's love is for us. Which means, saints, for us to know how low Christ, the eternal Son, stooped to save us. This is the mystery of all mysteries. This is the mystery of the Christ event. That the eternal Son became man. How low did He come? From His throne in heaven, saints, the eternal Son reached into the very marrow of our bone. He doesn't become a clone of us. He becomes one of us. Saints, don't ever lose this fact and truth. As it was said this morning, meditate and contemplate on the things of the Lord. Saints, contemplate on this. That the One who was high and lifted up came and stooped down to those who are sinful. The Eternal Son reached down into our bone and became bone of our bone became flesh of our flesh. He wept like one of us. He laughed like one of us. He walked like one of us. He talked like one of us. He had a mind like one of us. A will like one of us. A soul like one of us. Blood like one of us. The one who is in contradiction to who we are became who we are. Two infinite worlds coming together in one person. Heaven and earth meet in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He felt hunger. He thirsted like one of us. But how low did He go? Isaiah 53 tells us best. No form of majesty that we would look at Him. Nor an appearance that we would take pleasure in Him. He was despised and abandoned by men. A man of great pain and familiar with sickness. And like one of, and like one from whom people hide their faces, he was a spies and we had no regard for him. 
the one who is altogether lovely, we viewed as altogether ugly. Was it altogether beautiful? We viewed as altogether ugly. We did that, saints. The one who we owe our total allegiance to, we despised and had no regard for him. That's the state of humiliation that our Christ underwent. Born of a woman. Born in a stable. Oh, what humiliation our God underwent, saints. How low did he go? How low did God go? Low enough that people treated him like a sinner. Low enough that people thought a demon was in him. Low enough they called him a blasphemer. Low enough that they said, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. But put him on a cross. Low enough that those whom he came to save killed him. Those whom he came to save killed him. We in our life sometimes judge a person's love for us by how far they'll go to show their love for us, do we not? All the time. I'm guilty. I did it last Saturday. My wife brought me Wingstop. There was no honey mustard. I threw a fit. She said, don't worry about it. I'll go get it. She was already, she already waited an hour or so. She said, don't worry about it. I'll go get you your, I'll go get you what you need. They forgot it. I said, oh man, this woman loves me. But saints, think about our Christ. Oh, think about how much proof our Lord showed in saying that, yes, I love you from everlasting. Yes, I will love you for all eternity. He'll never end. Yes, no matter who you are, I will show my love for you. But saints, what does it mean if that love is never shown? Oh, does Christ show it? Oh, is there anyone in history, saints, that has shown His love for you more than Jesus Christ? Young people, you might say, why does my mommy and daddy come to church every day and why do they drag me along with them? Because He loves me. That is why. That is why, young people, mommy and daddy love Jesus Christ so much because Jesus Christ loves mommy and daddy. Oh, saints... Jesus Christ loves us so much that for true love to be true love, He showed Himself, His love for us. And how does He do so, saints? How does Jesus Christ show His love for you? John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. How does He show His love for you? He comes to you. He comes to where you're at. He walks alongside of you, of me. He becomes one of us to save those who have sunk into the depths of sin and misery. He says, I will walk with them. I will be counted among those who will be slaughtered. In fact, He says, forget the hundred. Take me. Forget the race of people who are owed in eternity in hell. Take me. I will pay for their sins. He speaks to them. 
touches sinners. He loves sinners. And then this is climax saints at the cross. John fifteen thirteen. Greater love has no one that a person would lay down his life for his friends. Oh, saints. Before he even lays down his life for you, he calls you a friend. He doesn't call you a sinner, although you are one. But he already sees you in his victory. He calls you a friend. Because isn't that what salvation has done for us? It's the restoration of friendship. Congregation, what held Christ on that cross? Catherine Sienna says it best. What held him firm and fast to the cross? Neither the nails nor the cross, which were not capable of holding the God-man, but the bond of love. What held Christ on the cross for those three hours? Not the nails, not the wooden, not, the, not, not, not that tree, but it was love. It was love that held him there. It was love, saints, that motivated him in his life. It was love that the Holy Spirit fills him such that he's overflowing with love to go to the cross in love, to offer a sacrifice of love. Oh, saints, what depth. What depth does our Christ love us? And lastly, the height. The height. And what this simply means, saints, is Christ's love for us reaches to the highest of heavens. It reaches to the highest of heavens. The one who stooped down to save us doesn't leave us here on earth. He doesn't leave us here on earth. But he brings us to where he's at. He brings us to where he's at. This is best captured in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 through 6. Even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Saints, what's the great goal of salvation? What's the end goal of salvation? It's our return to God. That's what everything is for. It's for us to return back to God. This is known as the great exit and return that the medievals like to talk about. That we come forth from God and creation returns back to God. But how do we turn? How do we make a return back to God? Every tower that we've built, God torn down. Every ladder that we try to make wasn't high enough. Any work that we tried to do wasn't enough. How do we turn back to the Father when there is no way? Christ, God the Father provides a tower. He provides a ladder. He provides a work. He provides a righteousness. He provides for us a grace and a mercy. He provides for us the perfect means. Jesus Christ, the Father sends His Son. And the Son, Jesus Christ, makes a way for us to return back to the Father. No one comes to me or to the Father except through me. But who gives us wings to fly? Who gives us wings? Who puts the battery in us? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, saints. 
the Holy Spirit, and we won't get to the Holy Spirit in a few years, but the Holy Spirit, He elevates us. The Holy Spirit comes alongside of us. He indwells us. And in the Spirit and through the Son, we return to the Father. We say like the psalmist, in your light, we see light. In your light, in the light of Christ the Son, we see the light, the Father. We see what Christ sees. We know partially what Christ knows. And then fully in the end, we could say that Jesus' mission and the Spirit's mission for us to be with our Heavenly Father. And this is what Scripture says, saints. Isn't this the great climactic end of the Christian life? If you might say, if someone asks you, well, how does it all end for you? How, how is this going to work out in the end? 1 Thessalonians 4.17 Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together and with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. That's the goal of the Christian life. To be with the Lord. In sum, this love that Christ gives to us congregation goes beyond spatial bounds and dimensions. We say that Jesus loves us, but here Paul is saying, yes, but do you really know how much? Do you really know how much? And Paul here is exhorting us to search and discover how much saints, if there is any, if there is any worthy study to embark on, if there's anything that you can occupy your mind with, if there's anything that should take up every thought in your mind, that should, that should take up any subject of books in your library, if there's anything about the Christian faith that should inflame our hearts unto obedience and good works, it is the love of Christ. Yes, learn these other things. But the cross of Christ always remains at the forefront. And why? Why? Because it's nice to know these things? No, Paul says in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love. Your soil, the grounds in which you stand as a man, as a woman of God, it is the love of Jesus Christ. Why are we here in this building together? The love of Jesus Christ. Saints of God, how do we stand? As I said this morning beautifully, when Satan's armies come marching toward us, we can hear them, can we not? We know they're coming in. How, how do we stand? How can we stand when those arrows are coming our way? What roots are we planted in? Christ's love. That's how we stand. That's our roots. That, that is why, saints, when the big bad wolf comes, we will not blow over. Because whom we stand on is not ourselves. It's Christ's love. It's the one who's loved me and gave himself up for me. The second and final point, to know the love of Christ experientially. Saints of God, hear me now. Please hear me now. The Reformed faith, the Catholic small c faith, is not merely about head knowledge. It's not. 
And don't ever let anyone lie to you and tell you that the Reformed faith, the small c Catholic faith, is all about you just knowing things. It's not about that. And it's never been about that. We don't study more about the love of Christ simply to know it. So I can pass the test. But for us to experience and live unto God. God created us to feel. Not just with minds. He created us to have emotions. Not to just have an intellect. Remember, saints, when God became man, He doesn't just assume only our minds, but He assumes all of us, as it was said from Pastor Antonio this morning. Even our passions. He assumes our passions, our fleshly, not fleshly desires, but our desires to heal and to make right our passions. You say, as everything that was said this morning, saints, it's, we can do the will of God. Because Christ assumed our will, heals our will. You have the power to say like Christ in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. Oh, saints, theology is not just for the minds, but it's to stir our hearts. Saints of God, I hope that I and Pastor Antonio are, as best as we can, communicate that to you. I don't care if you're scholars. I care, saints, if you are living as saints. Scholarship helps. Scholarship informs. We need to know. But we need to live. We need to live. The Lane Synopsis says, Theology consists not of bare and empty theory, but of a practical science that powerfully stirs the human will and all the emotions of the heart to worship God and cherish one's neighbor. This is a Reformed document. Theology is not just for you to know again. It's to stir you up. Not just to stir your mind, but the mind stirs up and then it brings with it the will, it brings with it the emotions for you to live as a saint of God, to live, as it was said this morning, as the Holy Trinity indwells in you, to actually really experience the Holy Trinity indwelt within you. And when we consider the love of Christ, saints, the more we love, or rather know of Christ's love, the more we will love Christ the more our love will be drawn out to Christ, but also the more our love will be drawn out to our neighbor. The more we know about the love of Christ, the better we can fight sin. Saints, even, just think of that. When temptation arises, just if you can, if God graces you in such a way that you can ask this question, ask it, do I love this sin more than Christ has loved me? Just ask that question. If, if God gives you the mind to say it at that moment. Cooperate with that grace. And ask yourself, saints, do I love this more than Christ has loved me? The more we know about the love of Christ, saints, the more His commands for us to follow will not be burdens but joys. In fact, Jesus says in John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, keep my commandments. This is an interesting text. I barely discovered this as I was reading it. Jesus doesn't say, if you love me, or rather, he doesn't say, keep my commandments because I'm, because I'm, I'm God and by nature you are, you owe me obedience. He doesn't say that, right? He brings love with it. He says, if you love me, not because I told you so, but if you love me, 
keep my commandments. Oh, if there's anything that we should say, yes, God, of course. Yes, you don't have to tell me twice. Yes, that's something that I want to, I need to do. Because of the love of God. Pastor Antonio wonderfully taught us that six days a week we are walking in a wilderness and oh, isn't that true? We are walking in such a wilderness in this earth with saints each and every Lord's Day we've come to the house of God. God gives to us a beautiful oasis. He feeds to us His Son, Jesus Christ. But how must we view this day, saints? How must we view this day? Since this is an oasis, how do we come to this oasis? The Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 4. He has brought me to His banquet hall. And His banner over me is love. That is how we view the Lord's day. Hanging over us right now is God saying, I love you. His banner over us right now, saints, right now as I'm speaking, even before I spoke, is love. It's a banner saying, come children, come experience once again my love. What this tells us, congregation, is that we experience the love of Christ every single Lord's Day. Every single Lord's Day we experience the love of Christ. Nothing wrong with experience. Yes, we can. We have to do a deed of trying to let go of all the wrong types of experience. But saying it's never, it's okay to say, I experience the love of God. That's fine. Because you do. You do experience the love of Christ. That's a good word. Charismatics, let them not hijack good words. Those are good words that we are to use. But saints, more than that in closing, we experience the love of Christ every day. Every single day. Every day, saints, we experience kisses from Christ, do we not? Every single day. But saints, how frequently do we acknowledge them? How do we acknowledge, how frequently do we acknowledge just doing, <sighs> Lord, thank you for that. The food that comes to our table, Lord, thank you for that. Everything that God gives to us, saints, is a donation. Everything he gives to us, saints, is from him. So, saints of God, I encourage you, as you move forward in your Christian walk, and we will continue to talk about our Christ to know this love. To know this love. To count all the ways in which you experience this love. Oh, if we wrote a diary every single day. And we wrote on it concerning the love of Christ. Saints of God, wouldn't the first thing we say is on this day, Jesus loved me. On this day, Jesus loved me. On this day, on this day, on this day. I don't know nothing else, but I know Jesus loved me. Saints of God, I hope that this inspires you to know more about your Christ and to experience the love of Christ, not just today, but every single day, and for you to show this love of Christ. Let's pray.